So thank you all for coming. We'll read and discuss a little Bhagavad Gita this evening. We're beginning the 14th chapter. And I'll read the English of the verses I'll try to cover this evening. And then we'll chant one of those verses. Um, Chapter 14 begins on page 681. The Supreme Personality of God had said, Again I shall declare to you this supreme wisdom, the best of all knowledge, knowing which all the sages have attained the supreme perfection. By becoming fixed in this knowledge, one can attain to the transcendental nature like my own. Thus established, one is not born at the time of creation or disturbed at the time of dissolution. The total material substance, called Brahman, is the source of birth, and is that Brahman that I impregnate, making possible the birth of all living beings, O son of Bart. It should be understood that all species of life, O son of Kunti, are made possible by birth in this material nature, and that I am the seed-giving father. Material nature consists of three modes, goodness, passion, and ignorance. When the eternal living entity comes in contact with nature, almighty armed Arjuna, he becomes conditioned by these modes. O sinless one, the mode of goodness being purer than the others is illuminating, and it frees one from all sinful reactions. Those situated in that mode become conditioned by a sense of happiness and knowledge. The mode of passion is born of unlimited desires and longings, O son of Kunti, and because of this the embodied living entity is bound to material fruit of actions. O son of Bart, know that the mode of darkness, born of ignorance, is the delusion of all embodied living entities. The results of this mode are madness, indolence, and sleep, which bind the conditioned soul. O son of Bart, the mode of goodness conditions one to happiness, passion conditions one to fruit of action, and ignorance, covering one's knowledge, binds one to madness. Sometimes the mode of goodness becomes prominent, defeating the mode of passion and ignorance. The son of Bart, sometimes the mode of passion defeats goodness and ignorance. And at other times, ignorance defeats goodness and passion. In this way, there is always competition for supremacy. So we can chant text four. Purusha prakriti styohi bhokte prakriti jan gunan karanam gunasangosya sadasadyoni janmasu the living entity in material nature thus follows the way of life, enjoying the three modes of nature. This is due to his association with that material nature. Thus he meets with good and evil among various species. So in the beginning of the 14th chapter, Krishna explains that I'm going to give additional spiritual wisdom, which is the best of all knowledge, knowing which all saintly people have attained perfection. So this chapter, the modes, three modes of material nature, it sets a framework for Krishna's explanations throughout the remainder of the text of Bhagavad Gita. Primarily, Lord Krishna explains in detail how we can recognize the influence of his external energy and rise above it. Within this material world, we're influenced by, first of all, our bodily situation. Whatever body material nature has 
given us due to our past activities dictates the range of our activities and the level of our knowledge within this material world. In the human form of life, we have higher intelligence. Until one is at the human form of life, the living entities that are in bodies less than the human form, they are conducted under the modes of material nature and they work accordingly. They do not have much discrimination power to inquire into anything beyond mere sustenance and survival. So their, their existence is, is conducted under the modes of material nature and it's very limited. That existence, as Krishna explains in this chapter, is conducted in the mode of ignorance. We also see sometimes even those that have come to the human form of life, their exist existence is conducted in the mode of ignorance. So we're going to notice throughout this and the remaining chapters that Krishna very carefully lays out the influence of his external potency upon the pure spirit soul. And that influence is conducted according to these three broad categories. Now, these are broad categories of the influence from the highest sattvagun, the mode of goodness, where one is aspiring for knowledge to down through passion and then to ignorance where one is avoiding knowledge. Opposite, opposite, exact opposite. Mode of goodness, mode of ignorance. The way the modes of material nature influence the living entity determines his enjoyment or suffering within this material world. And Krishna will make very clear how those that are situated in the mode of goodness are joyful and they have some, they have some higher purpose. They aspire to knowledge. Uh, they are attracted to rich, succulent, tasty foodstuffs. They live in clean, nourishing environments. Those in the mode of passion are wrapped up in sense enjoyment, primarily sex life. They aspire to sex life. And in order for sex life, they have to have a wife. And for a wife, you have to have a house. And when there's a house and a wife, there's kids. And when there's kids, there's bills to be paid. <laughs> and on and on. So this is the mode of passion. Primarily in society as we see it now, that's the be-all and end-all of their existence, the mode of passion. There are some scientists, there are some philosophers who seek higher knowledge, the intellectuals, but they're few and far between in this age. There's a few, primarily. The majority are wrapped up in the mode of passion. And then we have the mode of ignorance, exactly opposite of of knowledge. What's the characteristic? Madness, illusion, intoxication, indolence, sleep. More or less, you have a human, you've come to the human form of life, but you're still 
living the existence of an animal. If we look at the animal kingdom, there's four primary, their objectives, eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Eating, sleeping, mating, and defending in different degrees. Like a pigeon, uh, mating 100 times a day. And the, uh, a bear, once a year. <laughs> but still, these things are there. Bear can sleep for months on end. There's insects, they hardly ever sleep at all. Their existence is within one day of our life. Come and work like mad and then finished. Material nature offers all these bodies. And in the last chapter, Krishna made clear what is the nature of these bodies. It's a field of activity. And the field of activity is, is limited to the confines and the abilities of the body that we are given by material nature. So these three modes... And Krishna has explained here in the beginning of this chapter, he's making the point, I impregnate the living entity. I am the seed-giving father, and material nature is the mother. So just like in normal birth, the husband impregnates the wife, there is offspring. When it comes to activities within a material creation, the Supreme Lord himself impregnates the jiva souls, we're jiva, we're a fragmental, infinitesimal particle of the Supreme Lord. And he impregnates the living entities into his external energy. Earlier in Bhagavad Gita, he explained what is the material energy. Humir, Apol, Nalo, Bayu. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. These eight comprise my separated material energy. The living entity is not as separate. In the third canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, Vidura is enlightened by Maitreya in, elaborately in the matter of the creation of the material universe. And for those of you that really want to dive into exactly how the material creation is put together, it's suggested reading. You have not only the discourse between Maitreya and Vidura, you also have the discourse between Lord Kapila and Devahuti. In that canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, which Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur labels creation, detailed information is given. More detailed than we're going to get here in Bhagavad Gita. But Krishna is giving us a simple understanding. There is his material energy and he impregnates the living entities into that energy. How he does that, what manifestation, what expansion, what part of him does that, how exactly the material universes expand according to his influence, that we can go to Srimad Bhagavatam and get additional information. Just to touch upon that, 
It's understood that the total of all the living entities are resting in the Supreme Lord's form as Karna Dakshai Vishnu. And Karna Dakshai Vishnu is an expansion of the Supreme Lord who is in charge of the material creation. He basically animates the material elements. All the various universes come out in seed form from his transcendental body, from his pores. All the universes come, unlimited universes. He again enters into each of those seedling universes as Garbhodakshai Vishnu. He fills up half of the universe with his transcendental perspiration and he lays down and relaxes. In his relaxation, a lotus springs from his navel. On that lotus, the first living entity, Lord Brahma, is manifest. Amazingly. Just imagine. Brahma is there, but there's it's, it's dark. He doesn't nothing nothing around. He doesn't know what to do. He climbs down the lotus, tries to figure out where am I, where did I come from, what is the source of my, my being, and nothing's coming. Eventually he goes back, he sits down, and he hears. He only hears. Hearing is so important. He hears. Tapa. Engaged in, he understands. Tapa, tapa meaning he needs to engage in austerity in order to get full information as to how to create the universe. He executes tapa, he meditates, complete concentration, and eventually the Supreme Lord satisfied, yes, he's competent to do the universe, he's competent, gives him a complete spiritual revelation, he sees the spiritual world, he understands the nature of the Supreme Lord and he understands the duty at hand. And he begins creation. <clears throat> All the various demigods are manifested at that time and they also, as Maitreya explained to Vidura, they also pray to the Supreme Lord. They don't know how to do their duty within the material creation. Now, the demigods are in charge of, they're the administrative heads of material creation. They also, they pray to Krishna. They offer their prayers. They're given enlightenment. And their enlightenment is they are able to perceive the Lord's Virat Rupa. Now, let's go back to the 11th chapter. And Krishna gave Arjuna a vision of his universal form, his Virat Rupa. And what was that Virat Rupa? It was a way for one to see how the Supreme Lord personally permeates the material creation, his material energy. He personally is expands his self throughout the material creation. And Arjuna saw everything. He became, it was wonderful, then it was frightening. And then he said, I've seen enough. <laughs> And can I just see you the way I love you? You're my friend. Let's go back to that friendly Krishna that I'm used to. I realize I've offended you in so many ways. I've, I've, 
I've joked with you. I've sat on your bed. I've taken food with you. I've treated you just just like just like any other friend. Now I can see you are really God. But I knew you were God, but I never knew you were that amazing and powerful and beyond any comprehension and frightening and devouring. And so we get a glimpse this material creation, how it's manifest. So similarly, the demigods, they also were able to envision the Lord's universal form. And in seeing that form, they were able to understand their particular significance in controlling the various elements of material nature, the sun, the wind, the water, various bodies of the living entities. So all this is very very nicely explained in third canto, which with much detail as to how the living entities are impregnated in material nature according to their prior situation. Because we've been here before. And the Lord, he wraps up his material creation and then he also creates again. And at the end of Brahma's one day, there's a devastation and he creates again. And at the end of uh, the life of Manu, there's a devastation and all the lower planets are, are wiped out and they're created again. So there's many creations. We touched upon that last week. Krishna is explaining here to Arjuna, understand that all the living entities within the material universe come about by my impregnation. They're all my parts and parcels and I impregnate them in material nature. So once we are situated in material nature, at the beginning of this chapter, Krishna is first saying, if you understand the way, if you understand the knowledge that I'm going to give you here about material nature, that knowledge is sufficient for you to understand your spiritual position. If we can simply understand the Lord's external energy and how it influences us when we are here in the material world, that knowledge is sufficient to liberate us. It's so sufficient that what's Krishna say here in the second verse? If you have a complete understanding of this transcendental knowledge, of the modes of material nature and their influence upon the jiva, your consciousness will be elevated to your spiritual situation. You will understand your true spiritual nature of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. You will attain the same nature as me. This is God talking. He's saying, if you understand this, you're going to be, you're going to have the same you're going to see that you are of the same quality that I am. And that knowledge is enough to free one from material existence. By becoming fixed in this knowledge, one can attain to the transcendental nature like my own. Just like Krishna. Thus established, one is not born at the time of creation or disturbed at the time of dissolution. So much potency simply in this knowledge contained in this chapter of Bhagavad Gita. 
Krishna goes on. The total material substance called Brahman is the source of birth. And it is that Brahman that I impregnate, impregnate, making possible the births of all living beings, O son of Bharat. So the total material ingredients, the Mahatattva, the Lord's external potency, consisting of, as he spoke earlier in Bhagavad Gita, the ingredients. First, there's just one main ingredient, Pradhana. And then that separates into the various elements. Earth, water, fire, air. And then there are the senses to perceive those elements. The ear, the eye, the nose, tongue to taste, skin to touch. So it all evolves gradually. And that detailed knowledge is there. Srimad Bhagavatam. It evolves gradually. So the senses evolve from the elements and the sense objects evolve. And as the elements evolve, the elements take on more and more characteristics. So that knowledge is also given. Just understand, if we look at the characteristic of Ether. In ether, there's sound. To perceive sound, there's the sense organ, the ear. So all this evolution is coming about. Now, if we add to ether air, it evolves into air, then the skin can feel air. You add the ingredient of form. Form gives us fire. Fire, fire, fire. You can see form when there's light, when there's electricity. Then we add, what's the next? It turns to water, the next evolution, the next evolution of, this, of the material elements. We add the sense of taste. Finally ending in earth. And the earth, the sense of smell. So the five sense organs are perceiving the five gross material elements. And those elements are evolving one after another. So the, the verse we chanted this evening. It should be understood that all species of life of Sonakunti are made possible by birth in this material nature and that I am the seed-giving father. Material nature consists of three modes, goodness, passion, and ignorance. When the eternal living entity comes in contact with nature, O mighty-armed Arjuna, he becomes conditioned by these modes. So now Krishna is giving some understanding of how his external energy influences the pure spirit soul. The nature of the soul is eternal, knowledgeable, and full of bliss. So in that condition... We have no contact with this material energy if we are in full realization of our spiritual nature. That's what Krishna is trying to bring us to with this knowledge. In order to do that, he first has to point out exactly how 
we're not in that consciousness due to the influence of his external energy. So he explains the material nature, what I impregnate the soul into. The material nature consists of these three influences of goodness, passion, and ignorance. When the eternal living entity comes in contact with nature, almighty armed Arjun, he becomes conditioned by these modes. And now Krishna is going to go on and he's going to explain exactly how we're conditioned by these modes. And he begins with the mode of goodness, sattva gun, O sinless one. Very interesting how he addresses Arjuna here. O sinless one. What's that mean? It means Arjuna is above the influence of these modes. Actually, we're all above the influence of these modes. We're spirit soul. The conception of being influenced in the material world, of being a sinner, of being part of this illusory energy is not the true nature of our existence. Arjuna is aware of it. So therefore he can be addressed as a sinless one. He's fully aware of his Krishna conscious position. O sinless one, the mode of goodness, being purer than the others, is illuminating, and it frees run from all sinful reactions. Those situated in that mode become conditioned by the sense of happiness. This sixth verse, it's pointed out by Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. Although the mode of goodness is illuminating, it's knowledge, it gives us it, it, it elevates us to a place where we can understand our true spiritual position. It also has its shortcomings. So the shortcomings of the mode of goodness are that when we are situated in the mode of goodness, we become attached to the happiness, which is the natural result of that goodness. We become conditioned to that. Sukha. And we become attached to knowledge, jnana. And those attachments make those situated in the mode of goodness proud. And that pride eventually leads to ignorance because we separate the source of our knowledge, the source of our happiness. We see it as separate from Krishna. We see it just in the mode of goodness. It's coming about by my endeavor. Then false ego comes in. My endeavor. No. So that's the influence. That's the way the mode of goodness also influences us. So Krishna goes on. Text 7. Explaining the mode of passion. The mode of passion is born of unlimited desires and longings, O son of Kunti. And because of this, the embodied living entity is bound to material fruit of actions. So we've touched upon it, the mode of passion. We live in it, especially in this age. You go to any major city and what is it? It's a, a mosh pit of passion. People are running around madly just to try to, try to make a living. Try to enjoy. Then Krishna goes on, O son of Bart, know that the mode of darkness, born of ignorance, 
is the dilution of all embodied living entities. The result of this mode are the results of this mode are madness, indolence, and sleep, which binds the conditioned soul. Primarily are either intoxicated or sleeping. They simply have no get up and go. Now the people in goodness, they also have no get up and go. So how can you tell the difference? Those in goodness, they have no interest in getting involved in the, in the mad rat race of material existence. So they also, they don't engage so much in material activity. They're the intellectuals, the people that sit around and read and study and, and think and uh, perform their experiments to try to come to some new discovery of what's happening in the world. So both are there. And both are more or less not so active. So it's not real difficult to perceive those who are in the mode of passion. As far as those that are in the mode of goodness and ignorance, well, there's one way you can tell. When the person in ignorance opens his mouth, <laughs> you'll know the difference between himself and a wise man. Both may not be so passionate in their activities, but when the ignorant man speaks, <laughs> you'll immediately be able to distinguish him from a man of knowledge. Text 9, O son of Bart, the mode of goodness conditions one to happiness. Passion conditions one to fruit of actions, and ignorance covering one's knowledge binds one to madness. Interesting, in this verse, all three are conditioned. They're not free from the shackles of material existence. Conditioned. Even the one in the mode of goodness, he's conditioned. His activities are not transcendent. They're not on the spiritual platform. Although, if we can't do anything else, let's get to the mode of goodness. <laughs> In that mode of activity, that leads to knowledge. That leads to illumination. That leads to a very satisfying life. And in that satisfying life, we can begin to take advantage of saintly persons. Then Krishna goes on. He explains. Here, here's the, here, here is where these different modes take the living entity. The mode of goodness takes him to happiness. It's illuminating. It's enlightening. It's enlivening. Passion? Well, where's passion take us? It just takes us into more passion. <laughs> it's just work, work, work. Beast of burden. And ignorance leads us to madness. And unfortunately, madness within the human form of life can lead us to a lower situation. It's not that when we get this human body, we're guaranteed that we're going to get it again. There is a chance that we can fall down even lower than the human life if we don't take advantage of it. And if we look in material nature, that kind of natural selection is there. In the human form of life, we're given intelligence. Intelligence to inquire 
Atato Brahma Jignasha. Where did I come from? What am I doing here? What's the purpose of life? Is there God? Am I here? Am I matter? Am I spirit? We can begin to ask these questions. We have higher intelligence. But what is the what is the nature of natural selection that we see when we observe the world, the environment around us? Let's take let's just take a simple thing. I have this arm. What happens if I tie this arm around my waist and quit using it? How long will it take? Six months, eight months, a year, two years? It will become completely worthless to me. I won't be able to use it. Untie it, it won't work. Look in material nature. Same thing happens. So with intelligence, we're given this human form of life, we're giving some intelligence. If we don't use it properly, why should material nature continue to facilitate us with that gift? It'll naturally be taken away. If, when coming to the human form of life, we don't use our intelligence, we simply live like the animals, concentrating our energy simply on eating, sleeping, mating, and defending not anything beyond that, material nature is going to say, why waste a good human body? <laughs> I don't need to do that. So it's not guaranteed. So Krishna goes on in the 10th verse. Sometimes the mode of goodness becomes prominent, defeating the mode of passion and ignorance. O son of Bart, sometimes the mode of passion defeats goodness and ignorance. And at other times... Ignorance defeats goodness and passion. In this way, there is always competition for supremacy. We see that in the environment, in the different living entities. We see that in the human society. People were conducted by these modes. And we see it in our own existence. Sometimes these modes influence us in different ways. Sometimes we come, become like a crazy person. We become, only want intoxication, or we only want passion, we only want money, we only want, we only want. We only want knowledge, we want to be the most knowledgeable, or we want to be the greatest discoverer. Whether it's goodness, passion, or ignorance, we're pulled by these ropes of material nature in different directions. In this 14th chapter, Krishna is going to begin to show us how we have to cut these ropes. And we begin to cut the ropes by understanding their characteristics. By being able to look at the environment. By being able, able to look to those in the same species. And see how they're pulled and conducted by the modes. And to be able to see our, in our own self how we're conducted by these modes. And Krishna is going to give transcendental knowledge whereby we can understand these modes have nothing to do with our true self. Nothing whatsoever. We're Satchitananda. We are the same, as Krishna pointed out in the second verse. Come to this knowledge and understanding and you will come to the same nature as I. Wow. That is our inherent right. 
the verse we chanted, Krishna impregnates. Bija. What's he impregnate? A fragmental particle of his very self. That's what we are. That understanding is the goal of Krishna consciousness. See if I've left anything out. Are there any questions? Comments? Yes. Um, I was. I thought that the mode of ignorance uh, applied to people who eat flesh, and which is very widespread, more so than the mode of compassion. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the people that you, you're saying, most people are in the mode of passion, but they all eat flesh, most of the people, so aren't they really in the mode of ignorance? Well, we'll see. Well, Krishna's going to outline the foodstuffs in the mode of goodness, passion, and ignorance. Mm -hmm. But we find that, as Krishna says in this verse, the 10th verse, one, one mode is, is predominant and another mode is predominant. Mm -hmm. So we can't completely... It's not that you can categorize everybody by one activity. Mm -hmm. They could be predominated by the mode of passion but their eating could be in the mode of goodness I mean in the mode of ignorance as you point out mm -hmm. and their education uh, in their early life could be conducted by the mode of goodness mm -hmm. so the, the, there's always a competition of the modes of material nature upon the living entity none of these modes are experienced purely within the material world none of them are pure they're all mixed. That's the nature of this material energy. Now, in the mode, in the transcendental realm, the mode of goodness is referred to as Sudasattva, purified goodness. And purified goodness is the nature of those people who are completely freed of the modes of material nature. Now we also, in our, in our current condition, can engage in those purified activities which are transcendental. And transcend the three modes? Gradually transcend the three modes. It generally happens gradually. Mm -hmm. But those activities which we perform on the transcendental platform under the good association of saintly people and their direction, those activities in and of themselves are completely purifying. They completely let us rise above the influence of the other modes of material nature. That's pseudocytha. But you are, yes, sir. I was just going to, and those activities are specifically different forms of devotional service, correct? Yes. Those are activities of knowledge, as Krishna pointed out in the 13th chapter. Those 20 items, those are all transcendental. Those are part of the soul's nature. Truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, mercy. So in those verses 8 through 12 of the last chapter, Krishna outlines in detail those 20 items of knowledge. The most important thing that we need to understand is the influence of these modes within this material universe is primarily in, we primarily experience 
and become wrapped up in those modes due to association. If you hang out at a bar or a strip joint in the seedy part of town day in and day out and stay up to the middle of the evening running around and getting intoxicated and watching people engaged in passion, passionate displays, you are going to be overtaken by that mode. And you're not, when the, mor when the morning comes, you're not going to be getting up before noon. You're going to be sleeping for hours. It's hard. Who wants to get up? You have a hangover. You, as you associate with people who are simply interested in making money. You go to the office day in and day out. The whole atmosphere is centered around the passionate acquisition of money and material facilities. You're going to be overtaken by the mode of passion. You associate with people that are simply seeking knowledge, the intellectuals, the thinkers, the readers. What do they do? They sit around and they discuss they discuss matters of a higher nature. They have no interest in the hard work. They have no interest in the nightlife. They're interested in coming up with some new, brilliant idea. Wherever we associate, that is the modes that we are going to adapt. That's the way the Lord's external energy works. But the transcendentalist, the spiritualist, He's not interested in any of that association. He simply wants to take on association which will eliminate these ropes, these three gunas, ropes that tie us to material existence. Whether they be the enlightening rope of goodness or the maddening rope of ignorance or the passionate rope, he's not interested in any. Therefore, his association, and this is the key to our spiritual advancement, his association is with saintly people. People that are interested in ending the miseries of material existence. People who are interested, as Krishna pointed out in the second verse of this chapter, of not being forced to suffer death. Very clear. If we come to our spiritual existence, if we come to the same nature as Krishna, if we understand our true spiritual nature, we're not going to have to suffer in this material world. We'll be able to cut the ropes that bind us and we'll be able to give up the whole cycle of samsara, repeated birth and death. We won't be influenced. Yes, sir. It seems like if you don't get balanced and get at least have sattva being predominant in your life, you just you can't do the thing you need to do for devotional service. I remember my guruji telling a story that he was giving a talk in Eugene, Oregon, and um, it was a philosophical talk. It was very deep, and someone who I guess had been following. Maybe not a devotee per se, but following things since the 70s, raised his hand and said, well, whatever happened to just chant and be happy? <laughs> and Swami said, okay, well, why don't you? What's keeping you from doing it? Well, all this passion and this ignorance, all these things taking your mind in different places. So getting to that 
That's the that's the best, isn't it? Yeah, but not necessarily. It's definitely people that are in that mode are more inclined to take the spiritual life. But the influence of the saintly person is so significant that even somebody completely enthralled in the mode of what we would call ignorance can be immediately elevated to the highest platform. There was a hunter, Magrari. What did he do? His whole, his whole existence is he, he went out and he didn't just kill animals because his heritage was he was taught when you go out to hunt, and that's all he did was hunt. That was his existence. When you go out to hunt, you don't kill it. You just wound it. You critically wound it and you let it suffer and die. That was his upbringing. Completely in existence. His whole existence was what we would consider passionate ignorance. Passionate ignorance. Exact opposite of knowledge. But he was so fortunate that he saw Narda Muni, a saintly person. Narda was walking through the forest and he saw all these half-killed animals. He said, who's done this? Margus, I did this. This is what I do. Narda said, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> Let me explain a couple things to you about karma. <laughs> and really, you don't really even need to eat them. I can make sure that you're fed. I guarantee you, if you follow my direction, you'll be fed nicely without your bow and arrow, without your traps. And immediately from the mode of ignorance, the hunter became the topmost of devotees. So much so that when Narda came back with his friend, when Magrari went to pay obeisances, to fall down at the feet of his spiritual master, he couldn't do it right away. He had to push aside the insects. So from half-killing animals to being unwilling to kill an ant was his elevation. That's the influence of Krishna's pure devotee. Someone in love of God can give love of God to anybody no matter what their situation in the modes of nature. But yes, generally speaking, let's get to the mode of goodness at least. Anything else? Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.